You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. All right, well, let's head into our message today. We're going to be in Acts 3, verses 1 through 16. Uh, If you're a kid, there's five words written on a paper somewhere, and I totally forgot where they are, but you can read them and figure them out and find find them. Uh, So Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, we'll read it together. Feel free to open your Bibles, and we'll do this together. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that was called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, and, and as did John, and said, look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come before you today, and I couldn't help but thinking as I was singing this morning of those words that we were saying, that song that says that your light shines and our hearts glow, that, Lord, that is true that your light shines, but often my heart glows not because of your goodness, but because I think I'm so good. And sometimes I think to take the things that you've gifted me with, and I serve them for my own purposes. 
Lord, will you forgive us all this week as we have walked in ways that have utterly communicated to the world that we are more important than we should be. That, Lord, that we have forsaken your name in certain ways. That we've made much to do about things that we shouldn't. And, Lord, will you humble us by our word, your word, to know what matters and to seek you, to love you with all of our hearts because you are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what we're going to work for today. Our journey in scripture and through a testimony that will come to us later today is we are going to journey after this phrase. God pursues us for his glory. God pursues us for his glory. Here we have two disciples, Peter and John, who are going to pray the ninth hour, one of the three times a day that they would go to the temple and pray, and they meet a man lame from birth. There is probably at least a year in between the time of the day of Pentecost that we read last year that ended in the middle of chapter two and this event that begins at the beginning of chapter three. And so these men are on their way into the temple They have been in communion. They've been living outside of the holy city of of Jerusalem for some time, gathered together with other believers, sharing whatever they had, teaching whatever they knew, breaking bread in every way they could. And here they are heading into prayer, and they meet a man who is lame from birth. Now, lame simply means he was crippled, paralyzed. He could not walk. And from birth, meaning that this wasn't a work accident, he didn't tear a ligament getting out of bed in the morning. He has always been crippled. Let's not think that this was somehow a restoration that happened as we exercise or, or, or build our health. This man has never been able to step on his feet. And so as Peter and John, they walk into this area called the beautiful gate, they see this man sitting there. Now, this is a good spot that this man has figured out. The beautiful gate is a gate that's on the eastern side of the the mount of the temple. It's a prime spot for action because people would come in and out of this gate three times a day to pray. And he's sitting there asking for alms. Now, almsgiving would be what we know as charity to the poor or the crippled or to the elderly. And it's a pretty big thing in Christianity, but it's even a bigger thing in, in Judaism. It is said that you could be delivered from death and that almsgiving keeps you from darkness. So this man is not like, he's not a nuisance on the side of the road. He's not despised. In fact, he was carried to this position because he can't provide a living for himself. And so people would take, in the community, they would take him, drop him off at the gate so others could provide for him a standard of living. He's not inconveniencing anybody like we might think about when we're walking in a big city and we see homeless and we sort of feel that pull of being inconvenienced and this is totally natural. And seeing Peter and John, he looks at them, asks them for charity, asks them for alms, and we realize in this that there's some commonality between this lame man and Peter and John. They both have nothing. Peter and John, they have no money. They have nothing. They're in the same position as this this guy that's asking him for for money. And and so what do they do? They say, I give to you what I have. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And this man 
walks through faith in Jesus Christ. And in each of these men, Peter and John, and this layman, we see something in this that they recognize that what happened had nothing to do with them. Absolutely nothing to do. It was not in the least bit about them or because of them. This lame man picks up, uh, is picked up, and he begins to walk, and he leaps, and he praises God. And the crowds go, oh, that's Jim, the beautiful gate guy. He's healed. What is going on? This is crazy. He's praising God. They're all astonished at what is happening, and they go after Peter and John, amazed at it, and they surround them. And in this moment, we see a different Peter than we have seen in the entirety of Scripture. This is Peter who not merely a year ago, not too long ago, was in the Garden of Gethsemane when the capturers came for Jesus, and he lashed out in his anger and his passion at these guards, even though Jesus said this is going to happen, and he slashed their ear off with a sword, and Jesus rebuked him. And not even a day later, he denies his Savior. He denies Jesus in public three times. But here is Peter standing humble and confident, and he says, why are you looking at me? (laughs) This is a different Peter. Why do you stare at me as if we did any of this? They wanted to celebrate Peter and John, but they had none of it. They had no selfish motivation in their hearts. A couple weeks ago, Nikki and I, we were at a conference in Indy, and during one of our dinner breaks, we decided to go and try this 115-year-old Jewish deli called Shapiro's on the south side of Indianapolis. We never had been there before. It was fantastic. But when we were there, this, this 80-year-old man came up to us and began to adore our son Asa, who was there with us. And that sort of just struck up this conversation that lasted for well over a half an hour. And in that time, this 80-year-old man, he told us his life story and that he had lost his wife of 61 years four months prior. And he came to Shapiro's because he, att- he went there ever since he was young, and he found comfort and familiarity as he tried to establish new rhythms in his life. And it was, a, just, it was a beautiful moment that Nikki and I were both grateful to be a part of, and so we listened to this man, we heard his story, we empathized with him, and then we said our goodbyes, and, and then five minutes later, I see this man reappear at our table carrying a, a bag that I saw him purchase at the deli's dessert and cookie counter. He came up to us and talked to us about, for about three minutes longer, showed us some picture, and here's what's happening in my head. Maybe this is you if this is happening. I'm thinking, oh, this man is so thankful for the virtue that I showed him. He knows that our food got cold there, that he's come over and he's bought us this bag of cookies and he's gonna say, thank you for your generosity and time. And so I, building this story in my head and shortly after he puts, he puts the bag on the table and I go, okay, here we go. And I say, hey, you didn't have to do that. And he looks at me, he says, that's not for you. <laughs> he was confused. And he showed us a picture, and he took it, and he said goodbye. 
felt like such a fool. Nikki and I laughed about it. I felt like such a fool that I had built this story in my head where this guy recognized our virtue and was overwhelmed with our generosity, so much so that he wanted to recognize it. And sometimes the Lord marks things in your life that you just can't get out of your head, and that was one of those stories I just could not get it out of my head. And I just began to contemplate, Lord, what is it that made me feel so deserving of an old man who just lost his wife four months ago? What made me feel so deserving of his accolades and his appreciation? And then I, as the Lord does, I I read Acts 3, and I read the words of Peter who said, why are you looking at me? Why are you staring at me? And what I heard from Peter was, why are you staring at this empty dead man? I did did nothing. And instead of taking credit for it, or even this, believing that that crowd could give to him something that he needed, Peter deferred his praise to Jesus. Peter knows that the only reason that he's standing confident and humble in that moment is because of the power and the motivations that were changed in his life because of Jesus Christ. He's a different Peter than what was in the garden. He's a different Peter that was outside the city that was denying Jesus. And he's a different person because of the pursuit of God and his love and his grace for us. And instead of him seeing himself as a source of power, of healing and happiness to himself and to the world around him, He sees himself as a conduit of God's glory to shine through him, a conduit of God's power to shine through him, not in a way that Peter would ever convey, like, look how godly I am, or look how much God loves me that I can do these things. Peter sees himself as unimportant to the realities that are in front of him. Why? Because he is satisfied in the joyful awareness that the Holy Spirit of God has brought to him that he has a father and he is a child of God and God delights in his children. In scripture, it says that God uses, he uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly and despised, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The reality is quite simple. God works in the world through broken, humble, despised things. Why? For his glory to be known. So that the world may know him. I have a friend who's a pastor in Tennessee, and I got to talk to him this week. And he told me about a a new membership class that he had just a few evenings prior. And he said he was speaking through the scriptures about Uh, Jesus purchasing us, that we are not our own, that we were bought with a price. And he said, guys, what you have to remember is, is that you are owned. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. He purchased you through his blood. And he said in that crowd, a a mid-20s-year-old kid or guy stood up and he said, that's not true. I've been taught that Jesus is our support that all of my visions, all of my desires, all of my goals in life, that Jesus is sort of there to, to pick me up. And, and when I get wounded in those pursuits, I can run to him and just feel comfort. 
My friend said, that's not true. You don't own God. He owns you. God doesn't serve you. You serve God. And it was fresh water to this young man's soul. He exploded with rest in who his God was. We may see a celebrity on TV or a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and we might think, well, the kingdom of God would be greatly impacted if they would take their gifts and talents, if God could get a hold of their hearts. So many people would come to know Jesus. If they became a Christian, God could use all of those gifts and all of those talents and all of that popularity to make a real difference in the kingdom. And maybe that is true. But do you know where it will start? It will start with them seeing themselves as nothing. It will start with them seeing themselves surrendering their pride and understanding who they are to their father. Why? Because God pursues us for his glory. Why? (laughs) So the world knows him, not me. So the world knows his glory and his grace and his love. What good is it in my life if all my kids ever do is say that I was a great guy and they don't understand that the only reason that I am who I am is because the one who has set me free. And I could speak on this for another 20 minutes, but I thought it better to provide sort of a testimony of how this works in our lives. And so I asked my friend Brad Evans to come up and share a little bit about how God has restored him and how God has worked in his life. And we don't do that in a way to say, Brad is the penultimate, the ultimate testimony here. Here's my prayer for my kids every night. I pray that their testimony is boring. I don't want them to suffer harm in their life. I don't want them to go through what Brad went through. There is not a testimony in the Lord that is more celebratory than another. But today we come around and we listen to what God is doing in the life of a a friend and a brother, and we celebrate him in the way that he does it. So Brad, thanks for being here today, and I'll give it over to you. All right. (laughs) First of all, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, I look around the room and I recognize lots of faces. I know a lot of people, there are some people here that I know well enough, they this is going to be a repeat and they um, may be bored and that's okay. Um, There's a lot of people that I recognize from being here for the last few years that uh, I don't know that well. So I I hope my, my prayer all week this week has been that I am that conduit, that I am the, the gift that God has blessed me with his grace and his redemption in my life gets to be an opportunity for his gospel message to be carried out in a way that may be relatable to somebody else. And if, that's, if that happens, amen. God's done it. It's all him. So um, just a short introduction. My name is Brad Evans. Um, my wife is helping with the little kids right now. Um, Sarah, we have seven children. Our oldest is, will be 20 in August, and our youngest is six. Um, keeps life really exciting. We've been, we've been here for mm, right about three years now, and I, I do um, work on the prayer team here. Um, as you will 
as you will see or, or hear through me, prayer is, is such an intimate connection between myself and our Savior. Um, I, I enjoy that time that I get to bond. Um, so that being said, let's, let's pray quick. <sighs> Heavenly Father, we sing a song that there is no one like you Lord, and I'm so thankful that there's no one like you. It would just make things even more confusing. Lord, I thank you so much for the gifts and abilities that you've given each one of us here. And I pray that um, through through a selected and chosen redemptive story that your love is heard. Thank you so much. In your name we pray, amen. So um, Genesis chapter 50, um, verse 18 through 20, it says, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I chose this passage not because I had a bunch of siblings, not because they threw me down in a pit because they were jealous. I was was one of only two kids, I was the oldest. Um, I chose this passage because the jealousy that was I was surrounded with to keep me as part of the world, the community that I was in, the jealousy of the plan that my heavenly father had for me just meshed it together. I, it was, everyone around me wanted me to continue the way that they had a plan for me and God had a different plan. So, um, Again, I, was, I had one sister. She's a couple years younger than me. She's still in the area. Many people may know her. Um, my, both of my parents still live in the area. They're not together. Um, I was born into a home that was rather poor uh, financially, but even more poor um, and broken because... The lack, of, the lack of the Lord, I guess, would be the best way to say it. Um, drugs, alcohol, um, random people would come. My, my parents would open the doors, my dad mainly. Um, people would stay for extended periods of time. Um, they were, of course, his friends, all right? I use friends like this because they were the same friends that I had for a long time. They were... They were a friend because there was a purpose. They were looking for drugs or they were looking for a place to sleep or they were, the list just keeps going on and on and on. Um, Growing up the way that I grew up, as Pastor Steve said, I want my kids, I want all seven of my children, I I want their lives to be boring, right? I want it to be where they don't, they don't have to go through some of the struggles. Any of us as parents, we don't want our kids to go through some of the same struggles that we went through. Um, 
struggles for me, as you can well imagine, you get in school, school years and you're, you don't get to wear the trendy clothes, you don't get to wear the new shoes, you don't get to wear whatever. Uh, just the list can just keep going on. Um, you become a product of the environment that you are. People make fun of you. Peers, I was, I was picked on, ridiculed, pointed at, laughed at, probably every day all the way through school um, by at least someone because I was different. I was poor. I was, I was one of those trailer park kids. I grew up in that, that cast-off area of town that my wife's grandfather warned her about. You don't go there. It's dangerous. That's not, that's not where you go. So you become a product of that environment when you're young and, and impressionable all the way up through high school and you're trying to make a, a spot for yourself in the world. You're, you become that product. So very early age, I was, I was a drug user. Um, I was uh, daily um, doing things that could have gotten me in a lot of trouble, could have, could have led to death even. Um, had opportunity after opportunity to be arrested, to be thrown in jail, but God had a bigger plan. I continued to walk day after day in the habits and in the, in the life that had become mine. Addiction, um, and through that, that jealousy I spoke of, when, when my peers that were, I mean, they were loyal friends, the ones that were around me. My family members, they were loyal because that common ground that we shared was we all had to have each other's backs. We had to supply each other. We had to provide for each other. But at the end of the day, we had to make sure that when, if, if law was around to interrupt our life, we had to make sure that we took care of those that were in our network. And so that there was, there was that, that jealousy. So, so I, meet, I meet Sarah and long story, um, Steve says I'm not allowed to keep everybody here until 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so we won't go through all of that. Um, but I met Sarah, and I knew when I met Sarah that there was something different about her. And shortly, shortly into um, the time that we were dating, she made it abundantly clear to me that she would be in church and that she wasn't dating to just have fun. She was dating because she was looking for a spouse. And her spouse needed to be in church with her. And I thought, well, whatever. You know, got me a girlfriend. I'll hang out a couple hours every Sunday. Trudge my way through it. Be all right. But that was my flesh. That was my flesh and it was all that I knew. It was, my flesh knew the world that I lived in every day. And so I wanted to, I wanted to have my life 
and I wanted to have my girlfriend. So I was, in my mind, I was mapping out how that was gonna happen. I was making sure that I was meeting her, her stipulations for our relationship, and on, on the other side, I was, I was doing what continued to be my life. And all that led to was terrible warring in my flesh, lies, deception, willingness to hide things from who I wanted to be my, my forever spouse, my wife, willing to hide all that from her because I didn't really want to give up that life I had. We continue to date and we continue to get more serious and, and the, um, the daily sin in my life continued to weigh heavier, but it didn't weigh heavy enough yet. Um, I was attending church every Saturday night. I would spend the night at her house um, under her parents' rules. I slept upstairs and she slept in her bedroom right next to them, so she was protected. Um, I'd wake up on Sunday mornings, I, I, would, I would go to church with them. We would spend the afternoon, the evening, and I would go home. And on my way home, I had everything prepared and pre-staged in my car to fall right back into the life that was my week. So by the time I had gotten to my home, I was already, I was already high. And few months go by and we get engaged. Um, we, were, we were serious, we were in love. We, we knew that we wanted to be together. Um, but not, very, not very far into our engagement period, um, she, Sarah found some, found some contraband and she was upset and rightfully so because at that point in time, she was unaware that I was still living the way that I was living. And so we argue and, and um, we go our separate ways for, for a few days and, and, uh, and I got real crafty. I got real crafty. Um, I had new stories, new, new ways of, of getting what, what I wanted without giving up what I didn't want to give up. And so we work things out a little bit and, and we get closer to our, our wedding date and, and things start getting really good for us. We get married. We were married for a little over a year and and uh, we find out that we have our firstborn on the way. At this point in time, I was still a user, which forced me to be a regular liar and willing to go behind my new wife, pregnant wife's back, and do the things that I needed to do so I could keep my livelihood going. My, my normal, my normal. Um, I hope you guys are picking up on a lot of my. There was a lot of me. 
there was a lot of flesh and there were anchors holding me in that. And so um, all through the, that year or so, really God was giving me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for me to just confess to my wife to um, change my perception, to look at things and with a different view and to walk away from, from the things that were dragging me down. And my flesh was still not in it yet. So I go to Patrick's Born, born in the end of August, 2001, February 2002, February 12th, I go to work. High when I get to work. Go to lunch. Go get high. Come back from lunch. Park my truck and walk over to the gas station. This was my this was the daily routine. Walk over to the gas station. Gotta get a drink before you go back to work. Get a drink. While I was in the gas station, one of the guys that knew what my lifestyle looked like, he's like, hey man, you're not gonna believe it. Mandatory drug tests. Every single employee of the, of the company, taking them before, uh, before you're allowed to go back to work. You wanna talk about sweating. I ain't sweat like that before. The world was crashing. Right, everything, everything, with my mind was going a thousand miles an hour on what in the world. What was I gonna do? Wife, four month old baby, been lying to her for a year and a half about drugs, two, two years about drugs. Um, what's left, right? Not much. So I go home, pretend like nothing happened. Took that drug test so I could go back to work, pretend like nothing happened. Takes him about a week because the place that I was working with had a lot of people a lot like me. Probably why I got along with them so well. Um, they, they were trying to plan how they were gonna re, rebuild their workforce. Um, about a week, six working days later, our checks were supposed to come out to us and they, they didn't show up. They didn't show up. And at the very end of our work day, General manager walks around and he's got a he's got checks for us, and in in the checks are the results of your drug screen and whether or not you were to report to work that following Monday. Sarah was at work; she had a part time job, so I knew what my check was going to say. I didn't even need to open it, but I did anyways. It let me know that that was my last day of employment there. So my mind's back at it. The war is there. How am I gonna get away with this one? That's, that's where I'm at. How am I gonna get away with it? God said, you're not. You're not getting away with it. I've, I have chosen you and I have a bigger plan for your life. This is part of it. This is part of the pain that you get to experience and we gotta get through it. So I go home and again, uh, I picked up Patrick on, our, on, our way home, on my way home from work from the sitter 
I go home and I, and I get this Bible out that I had at the time. There was a note section in the back and I just start crying out, it, writing down notes. God, I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm gonna have to figure out how to, how to still have a relationship with Patrick because I know when I tell Sarah what's happened, I know she's just gonna tell me to hit the road. She can't live with a liar. She can't live with somebody that doesn't know the Lord. She can't live with somebody that's gonna jeopardize her son. She can't live with that. She didn't deserve it. She gets home from work and um, I just, she walked in the door from work. I said, I gotta tell you something. I lost my job, failed a drug test. She just looked at me and this is, hear me say this, this, is, this was God's work, not hers. She looked at me and never, never batted an eye and she said, well, what are you gonna do now? Gotta have a job, we still have bills to pay. It wasn't get out, it wasn't pack it up, it wasn't I'm done. Her heart, God had already worked in and prepared her to extend his grace to me. That day, in that moment, I understood what grace was. That was it. God had me, he had my attention. So I walked away from my old life. I died to myself. And when I did that, I lost everything, except for Patrick and Sarah. All of my family, all of my friends, friends, anyone that was around me, done. They couldn't trust me. I was a turncoat. I was the bad guy. I was the one that no longer could they speak to because they never knew if I was gonna be the one that was gonna bring them down. I lost it all. And I gained even more. I, every time I think about the gift of God's, God's grace in my life, it reminds me of Simon and Andrew. They're getting done fishing pulling their boats ashore, and Jesus says, drop it, let's go. That's what they did. They were with their dad. They walked. They knew that what Jesus had in store for them was far more important than casting nets and catching fish. Sanctification. My life, my if you wanna call it rock bottom, I don't really like that terminology because we can, always, we can always find things to apply that to. But if you wanna call it that, that's where I was. God said, no, this is just a starting point. This is, this is where I wanted you at two years ago. Sanctification begins. Um, in the book of Acts, chapter nine, God, 
calls to Ananias and he says, he's talking to him regarding Saul, Paul. And he says, uh, go, he's chosen. Go get him. Verse 18, he restores Paul's sight. Scales fell off. The, again, chosen. All of this brings, brings us to Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. That was the process. That was what, that was what was working. That heart of flesh. God chose me. I ran. I dug my heels in. I anchored myself in the life that I knew because it was comfortable, because it was what I knew. God chose me. Pastor Steve shared, it's not glory. He doesn't, God doesn't choose Jeff Bezos because he knows that he's the richest man in the world, the platform. Not saying that he couldn't, just like Pastor Steve shared. Not saying that he couldn't. He takes, he takes us. He takes the unpolished. He takes the broken. He takes, he takes those of us that, that when, when that change comes, I still run into people that I went to school with from time to time. Some of them may even be in here. Um, they, they look at my life now compared to what it was, and some of them have even used the words that they didn't recognize me. It's not my doing. God called me, God had a plan, his purpose was larger than mine. I needed to be obedient. Book of Acts, we are called to be the hands and feet of Christ. The end of the book of Matthew, the great commission, we're, we're called to carry out his words to the end of the earth. Conclusion of my story, this, this, is, what I, this is what I get to share of, of my story. My story is God. God chose me, God worked in me, God did something in me that I could have never done in myself. I get to share this with people who want to hear it. <laughs> God adopted me into his kingdom. And it was for his glory. I pray that, that if, if my Redemption through God can go out and, and help have an impact on one person. It's for his glory and all the work's been done by him. I just, I just wanna conclude and, and thank everybody for, for allowing me to share, opening, opening some time up here and, 
and letting me share this. Um, God can redeem any one of us. Before we pray here to close, um, I just wanna, I just wanna give an opportunity. People are thinking, what if? Am I enough? Can God really love me? Or does God have something bigger for me in plan? If, if that's something that has, has been calling, follow it. God's, that's God re- God's reaching out to us and he says, I've got something for you. You just need to be obedient. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer this this morning, Lord. So thankful for your love. Jesus paid a debt that he never created, but he did it because he was obedient, because you love us, because you have a plan for us. He did it to adopt us into your kingdom because short of Jesus' blood shed on the cross, we're not capable of living the way that we would need to. I thank you so much, God, for the way that you love us. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray, Lord, that your gospel message is carried out through the vessel of this church. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you do. In your name we pray, amen.